It's episode 93 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I am JP Breen, and joining me today are Ryan Topp, and because Steve Garshinsky is out for... Actually, I don't know why he's out, but he is out, so we are very lucky to be joined by Brad Ford of Brew Crew Ball. So, Brad, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, and and Ryan, I do not want to leave you uh, left out, so how you doing, bud? Ale, ale, ale. I know. It's good. It's good times. Um... So we have quite a bit of injury news, I guess, to cover today as we are talking about a lot of guys hitting the the injured list. I'm still getting used to saying injured list instead of the DL. So the IL, but uh, Brad, yeah, I, I typed it wrong. I was, I was going to say, Brad, I heard uh, you're going to a baseball game today. Yeah, I'm going to go catch out some uh, Northwoods League game. So watch those college players learn how to use a wood bat, which is apparently... Uh, based on what I've heard, the hardest thing for them to do is learn how to swing with a different material in their hands. So, absolutely. So who? So you're going to the Kingfishers, and who are they playing today? That's a great question that I will find out in a few hours. Oh, good. Yes, good. <laughs> I did my research. <laughs> absolutely. Well, in some ways, it baseball is baseball on a Sunday, right? Like, right. Get right. out, get out, and see a little bit. And and if it's anything like it is in Indiana today, the weather's beautiful. Yep, weather is better than it was yesterday. Nice, cool Wisconsin June day. Now that we're officially at the halfway point of the year, so so now that we're in June, do we get to like start talking about trade the trade deadline for the next two months? Yeah, we can talk about all the chips that the Brewers don't have to give up, and hopefully get talent back. So Good. that'll be exciting. Good. It's going Good. to be really different than last trade deadline in my opinion going, just nothing's there yeah go into the dark place early excellent good <laughs> um so you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing milwaukee's tailgate on apple podcasts and spotify we do want listener questions so follow our M- uh, follow milwaukee's tailgate on twitter at mke tailgate you can email questions to milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or you can follow our our facebook page or you can also use our anchor messages which we, we will be featuring uh later in the podcast you can follow you can follow the three of us, so Steve, Ryan, and I. Uh, Brad, what's the? Where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Brew Crew Blue, which is not Brew Crew Ball, where you do end up like publishing your stuff. But they can kind of find your stuff on a, either place. Yeah, right. You're right. You Brew Crew Ball, Brew Crew Blue. Um, you know, very not confusing, um, but similar names. You can find just my daily stuff on uh, Miners Musings, that whatever comes out of the old noggin on Brew Crew Blue, and then you can find my work at Brew Crew Ball, uh, where I publish minor league updates daily, weekly, uh, post the random game recap, and then of course update with. Uh, some of the statistics that we're following and a little bit of analysis. Perfect. And so for Ryan, Steve, and myself, you can find all of our Twitter handles in the, uh, the Milwaukee's tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you want to support the podcast, you can visit patreoncom slash MKE tailgate. Our M and B and ball and glove patrons receive the, uh, the monthly minor league extra podcast, which will be coming out after uh, the major league draft that will be happening this week. And if you are interested in the draft, if you're kind of gearing up for it, it's going to be Monday through Wednesday this week. I was joined by uh, Jeffrey Paternosto of Baseball Prospectus to kind of give us a rundown of, of the draft, what to expect, what teams to look for. We also talked a little bit about like how you handle uh, the stats that come out 
you know, right? They they all go to the rookie ball league. They some of them go to the Timber Rattlers. But what do you do with all the stats that are going? How should you react to them? Uh, how much value should you put in those those stats when you're kind of seeing the guys for the first time? So uh, it's good about half hour interview. I, I suggest che- checking it out. Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon Four Brewing and their English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. Do you know them for their great beers like? Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Some of the current spring and summer seasonals that are now available include Tokyo Sauna Pale Ale, Fruit Punch Fantasy Factory IPA, Radicats New England Style IPA, and you can start looking for cans of America AF Watermelon Kolsch. You can get 20% off merch at the Carbon 4 uh, web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. All right, so we, of course, we had like a a few uh, off days still kind of lingering around, which has kind of made the baseball season for the Brewers a little bit like choppy in the last. Yeah, it was really weeks. weird. We had an off day on a Wednesday, and I went back as far as like 2000 to see if I could find a Wednesday scheduled off day, and I couldn't find one. So you, it's been at least like 20-ish years you, since it's happened. You took time and to I, go on like baseball reference or whatever to find the last Wednesday off day? I was on uh, the MLB schedule app, and I just kept going back. It didn't actually take that long, but I was bored, and then I got more bored of what I was doing to kill the boredom. And I was like, I, I just don't care that much. I'm not going to keep going back for this. So it was hard to figure it out. But yeah, it, it's been a very long time since the Brewers had a scheduled Wednesday off day. Except for the the All Star break, because that's just a normal thing. But well, so it, I was gonna say it was a long time for the the kind of weird schedule we had. They they split against the Twins, and uh, thus far going into we're recording early on a Sunday here, but late enough that we actually got the roster news, which was a big help to us. But they've taken two or three from from the Pirates thus far. We've had some high scoring games. Brad, what are you kind of feeling about this past week? Uh, I mean, it's been, I think, just coming out ahead on a road trip is always good. So, you know, going in 3-2 with the split to the Twins, with the chance to go 500 so far, is always a positive outcome whenever you're on the road. However, uh, the pitching has been a little shaky, especially with uh, Chassin's performance where he walks in three runs. Uh, You have uh, Alex Claudio coming in and blowing that game against the twins where you have chase Anderson or not chase Anderson, Zach Davies going in deep and keeping the team within the game. The brewers aren't able to score. I think that was another game where you have a lot of runners left on base uh, from Milwaukee side, but uh, the late inning, the late game runs allowed has been a little disappointing in this road trip. Um, but the offense has persevered. You've gotten some big hits. Uh, Keston Hira has really made an exclamation point on what is already a good initial call-up period um, to get some big hits, some big home runs, even though, you know, the one I went against the Twins went to no avail. But, uh, and then Orlando Arcia, of course, has been coming up big. He has two game-winning home runs. So it's nice to get that kind of bottom of the lineup support going. But uh, the initial reaction for the pitching has just been questionable, especially you feel bad for Brandon Woodruff coming off a fantastic May uh, in yesterday's game. He's about to get out of the fourth inning. Hira botches that double play ball and then four runs, and he ends up leaving the game in four innings with six runs allowed. Um, 
so, I mean, of course, there's reasoning for the shaking or shaky pitching. But uh, overall, I mean, it's been kind of hard to watch that. Uh, at least they've been fun games, though, in terms of back and forth scoring. A lot of uh, excitement, especially against the division rival and then our honorary rival in the AL. But um, Absolutely. yeah, the, the back end pitching's been worrisome. Yeah, Ryan, what do you think about I'm I'm glad that Steve's not here to just basically like crap on the relievers the whole time. But but Ryan, what are you thinking about the pitching? I mean, I think that part of this is we're just going to sort of have to get used to this being the new reality of baseball, at least for this year and this baseball that they're using, because balls are just going to be flying out of the park. And they did face a, a team in the Twins who can hit the ball out of the park prodigiously this year. So. I mean, you kind of you you know that that's part of the equation, and then you also look at there were some pretty high leverage defensive mistakes. Uh, Brad already mentioned the one with Hira, the double play yesterday. Hira also had one against the Twins when I believe it was Alex Claudia was on the mound, and that led to a beginning as well. And so sometimes that happens where you you have an error and it opens the floodgates and a bunch of runs score and it it becomes a bad situation that way and then there's other times when a defensive miscue just you know the pitcher gets the next couple outs and it it's minimal or no damage and you just move on so it all sort of plays together i'm i'm not super concerned about the the back end of the bullpen at this point I, i i know josh Hader gave up another home run on saturday afternoon and again that's just sort of part of what is going on this year you're going to have guys hitting the ball out of the park especially you know good hitters like Marte yeah yeah but but like let me let me jump in for a second because it's really interesting to me to hear all of this stuff about the pitching so if if we had to take May as a whole right not I know we're talking about the last week but if we take May as a whole where would you guys say kind of throughout all of Major League Baseball if we take all 30 teams where do the Brewers rank in terms of ERA starters and relievers where do they where do they rank for the month of May as a whole Brad, pretty good. Think? I'd say top ten. You yeah, said, I'm pretty oh. confident top five. It's not quite top five. I appreciate the optimism, but it's uh, it's tenth overall. So a three eight seven ERA. Their FIP is actually one of the better ones. Uh, it's right at about four. So um, pretty good there. It was just it 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 was a really difficult last week in terms of pitching that I think has taken us a little bit by surprise, or at least kind of left a sour taste in the mouth, which was a pretty good month of pitching. And I think for me, one of the things that I always think about, and this is something because I went on a, I fought the internet on, on Friday night about uh, Jonathan scope. <laughs> and um, I took a play, a page out of, uh, of Ryan's Ryan's book. And I fought the internet for a bit. And thanks, Steve. I do think one of the most interesting things is is to think about what a, a league average guy is or a league average pitcher is, right? Which league average or slightly above league average is is desirable, especially when you're talking about the Brewers rotation and you want mid-rotation starters and you want all of those things. But by definition, almost every single one of those league average guys isn't going to just be average all year. They're going to be good for spots and they're going to be really bad for spots. And, it, and a lot of the time it just kind of averages out and over the course of 162 games, they're league average. And we do seem to be seeing that with the Brewers, in which you have a lot of guys that can go through a good solid month, maybe two months, you know, maybe it's it's two or three weeks, where they're they're excellent. 
And everybody starts talking about, you know, whether these guys have turned the corner and then they'll have two weeks where they're they're brutal. And over the course of 162, we've got the perspective to go in and say, like, oh, actually, so and so had a pretty good year. But when you actually isolate like individual games, two or three starts, a couple of weeks at a time for a reliever, uh, things can look pretty bad. And I think it causes people to overreact to certain things because I know that we're going to get to Shasin hitting the 10-day IL with with uh, lower back, I, I think, stiffness, if not soreness or a strain. And everyone is basically saying because he's been bad for the last month or maybe two months as a whole, um, everybody has been like, get him out of the rotation. Where do you guys stand on, on Shasin and guys like that when, when you're looking at, I don't know, like, Guys who were really good for us last year, but have been bad for a month. How do you kind of keep that in perspective or does it even matter what they did last year? I mean, I was looking at it a little bit this week and Shasin has mostly kept them in games. There have been uh, he has only given up uh, more than 12 starts. He's given up more than three runs four times. Uh, Twice it was four runs. Once it was six runs. And then this last week it was seven. Uh, he's not had the really good outings to balance that out, though, that he had last year. He's not having the seven innings of you know one run or something. That really hasn't been there. But more often than not, he's taken the ball and kept them in the game. So I think that the, the disaster uh, narrative on him is a little bit too far. And I think going back to like what you were saying before as well, I think part of this season for the Brewers, the narrative came out in the beginning of the year, because that's when we build our narratives is that the Brewers pitching is terrible because they faced all those good offenses to start and gave up a bunch of runs. And there was this panic around, Oh my God, the Brewers pitching basically by about the end of April, people had freaked out about it. And then may happens and they were so good, but I think it kind of you, like you were saying, it kind of gets lost a little bit because that, previous thing had already been established this idea that the pitching was terrible so now anytime you have a bad run of pitching like they've had this last week where you know guys get knocked around a little bit it sort of reinforces this previous narrative that existed that the pitching is bad and the pitching is the problem so i think people go back to that a little too easily sometimes and miss that yeah like you said may was a pretty damn good month for pitching and to go further about what you said about whether you consider the previous seasons or you look at this seasons, I think, or this season as a whole, this last month, is that what Chassine is to us this year? I think you absolutely need to use the other seasons for context. I mean, last year he was phenomenal. Uh, you know, kind of over his career, the pitcher he is. Over the last four seasons, he's had a substantially lower walk per nine than he has right now. Um, and he was able to get a lot of ground ball outs. Uh, this year that's missing, you have to kind of figure out what that is and if it will regress back to the mean. But just because he's had a bad first third of the year, uh, he still has that four-year track record of success. Uh, so hopefully this IL stint is getting him back to where he needs to be. And we'll get into that later, I know. But when you look at the whole and evaluate whether should we bail on this guy as a member of the rotation as an important piece of the Brewers rotation. Uh, you definitely had to consider the context of the last four years, the pitcher he's been, and then also consider the teams that he's faced because he's faced some pretty dominant offenses. As Ryan mentioned, 
we've been, I mean, the Dodgers, the Twins, the Pirates, well, he didn't face the Twins, but the Pirates, those are good offensive teams. You're facing some of the best hitters in baseball right now, and Josh Bell, Cody Bellinger, and you're facing some really difficult hitters out there that are going to make the stats a little more skewed. Uh, you're facing teams that have a little bit more patience, which makes it harder to get the results that you've gotten in previous years. Along with, we've all kind of seen it, I think, some of these sketchier zones that I feel like we faced in recent memory, um, where the results are skewing kind of what he has been able to accomplish previously. So I think you just really have to look in, as Ryan was saying, contextualize the results that he does have. And of course, it's really easy to say, no, he doesn't deserve to be in the rotation. Who deserves to be in the rotation after walking in three runs? But this is a pitcher who really, aside from this year, hasn't walked a lot of hitters and has gotten good results and grinded through some tough starts to keep the Brewers within games. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think he's an important guy from an innings perspective as well. Like he does take the ball and generally goes deeper. I know this week he had, you know, two and two thirds innings, but he generally does go deeper into games as well. And that's important for a team that does, you know, need that from some spots in the rotation. So. Yeah, and I think that Zach Davies has been that guy a little bit this year. Brandon Woodruff at times has been that guy this year. And last year we saw that Shasin was pretty much the only guy that Craig Council would allow to go through tough spots in a, in a lineup late in a game. Pretty much any time that you got into the even fifth inning sometimes or the sixth inning and a guy gave up a runner or two, uh, they went to the bullpen immediately. Shasin was really the only guy that council would trust to be able to try to get out of some of those spots and sometimes it burned them but some, a lot of the time they actually uh were able to get through those spots and, and the trust was was vindicated but one of the guys who has actually been pitching quite well since coming to the brewers has been geo but he hit the 10-day il with a dead arm quote unquote a dead arm and uh manny pina is back up and so we do have an anchor question coming on through for a, for a voice question from one of our listeners it's PJ from Des Moines. Good for Liverpool winning the Champions League, I guess, JP. You can celebrate it a little bit, I guess. That's fine. Anyway, with Gio going on the IL, do we think it's time for Jimmy Nelson to come on back to the big leagues? So when it comes to evaluating whether it's time for Jimmy Nelson to come up, um, I think before when we just had the Gio injury, it looks like you can actually go through the rotation a few times without actually needing that fifth starter. And I think it was more important for the team to actually give Jimmy a couple more times in AAA to really grind out his control. In my opinion, and it starts in AAA, the thing that has been concerning to me has been the large amount of walks, which are fairly uncharacteristic of the last time we saw Jimmy Nelson. I mean, his first outing, he had six walks. Uh, his second to last start, he had four walks. And then he comes out, he has five great innings where he has, I believe, seven strikeouts. Uh, really keeps the runs on or um, keeps the other team from scoring. And I think team, our fan base gets really excited about that and then reacts like, okay, the starting pitching is struggling. Let's bring up this guy who is phenomenal in 2017, but has been pitching for a year and a half. And he'll be the answer to all the problems because he had this one good start at AAA. So just because of that start, if it was only Geo going down with injury, I would say, no, it's not time to bring Jimmy Nelson up. We can survive the next brief period without really relying on that because we had the off day on the 3rd, the 10th, and the 13th. Let's see if we can't get Geo healthy again, bring him back up, 
and give Jimmy more time to become the pitcher that he was in a safe space where failure isn't as effective towards the organization as it would be otherwise. So then, I, I, then I, you have Trasine get injured. Yeah, and I am gonna I am gonna jump in here because we do have some some breaking news. As I of, just saw that too. I was gonna say as of ten minutes ago, Adam McAlvey said the Brewers are going to call up Jimmy Nelson to start Wednesday against the Marlins at Miller Park. It's going to so his his start if everything goes to plan, and on Wednesday he does make his start. It's going to come three days shy of twenty one months since his last pitch in the major leagues. Yeah. So, so almost two years. Yep. But with. Two injuries to the rotation. Now it just makes the most sense. You bring up a guy who has a history with the organization, uh, has actually his velocity is creeping back up to where it should be now as he pitches more in games. Um, he And, yeah, he's coming off a great start. I don't really know what the other option was. You could go Aaron Wilkerson. You could go Burt Smith. You tried those before. They haven't really worked out well. If you want to have a competitive series um, without these two starters – why not just go Jimmy right away? And you're going and you're giving him kind of a softball to start things out against the Marlins. I was just going to point that out. You were talking about safe spaces. I think the Marlins are about as safe a space as there is in the National look, League look, to I'm, start a, a I'm, game. I'm not going to like, I don't want to bring anything too like short sample, small sample into this. You know who's been playing really well as of late? The Marlins have been playing really well as of late. Ah, crap. Of course yeah, they have. But wasn't against the that Nationals. Happened. I feel like everyone plays good against the Nationals. <laughs> I mean, I I guess I don't necessarily I don't have uh the exact like schedule that they have going up, but basically they I think one they swept two series in a row and then uh recently have been winning a couple of games in a row uh as well. So it's Oh yeah, they swept the Mets, didn't they? Because that caused a freak out. So when you're when you're looking at I so right you said we had the the injury to Gio Gonzalez he's going out with a dead arm and then Chassin going on the IL with back tightness so the the kind of short term moves that they made Jacob Barnes uh, Taylor Williams back up Jacob Nottingham to AAA because Pena's now back in the lineup so they're they're bringing up some short term arms Jimmy Nelson slated to come back or expected to come back on uh, for Wednesday's start against the Marlins so. Ryan, it, any kind of problem with these sorts of moves, uh, kind of general overall thoughts? No, I think it makes sense. They needed to get some guys up after the long game on Saturday to potentially eat some innings on Sunday. So Barnes and, and Williams come back, and we'll see if they can avoid some of the issues they've had this season so far because neither one has exactly covered themselves in glory. I think that long-term, I was wondering if maybe we would see – if it had just been uh, Geo and not Chassin as well, I was thinking maybe we would see Freddie Peralta get another spin as a starter uh, in the short term. But I'm I am glad that it's Nelson. I think that's the the correct call, and we will see how that plays out later this week. But I think that this is it's really a testament to the depth they have of pitching that they can have this stuff happen. And it doesn't feel like a, an utter disaster, right? That they have so many different options they can turn to. Not all are, are having great seasons, but they're at least credible big league options. And we've all sort of been waiting for Taylor Williams to take that next step. And I continue to hold out hope for Jacob Barnes as well. I don't know how many other people are at this point, but I continue to hold out hope for him as well. So, you know, you have credible big league options that you can continue to churn through the roster. And that's a big part of why... It, this is sort of the hidden strength of the Brewers and why, even though they don't have the maybe top flight starting pitching that t people think you need to contend, 
their depth is so good that they don't generally have to run out truly bad pitchers all that often. So, so to go back to what the Marlins did, so they swept the Mets, swept the Tigers, then they they dropped three out of four to the Nationals, then they took two out of three to the Giants and have split thus far to the Padres. So I've been playing pretty good baseball, though, against uh, teams that haven't necessarily been been stellar. But I, I do want to switch from, I guess, thinking about the pitching and actually move to some of the hitting. Because Brad talked about this a little bit earlier. Orlando Warcia has been having a lot of success and his road trip has been pretty big. He's hitting uh 368, 455 with a nine uh with an 895 slugging percentage with three home runs. And so Jeffrey Emenecker on on Patreon asked, what do the underlying numbers say about Arcia this season? Does it indicate uh how sustainable does it basically indicate that his current numbers are sustainable going forward? So Ryan, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean I've I was waiting for him to have a, a better season than he had last year. So I, this seems more sustainable. Uh, the underlying numbers on that. So the underlying numbers on Orlando Arcia, he has a 91 DRC plus. And when you're looking at what he's got going thus far for his, his batting average on balls and play, it's right about 300. So what you're really looking at for Arcia is no, he's not hitting for a great average, but his power is really ticked up. And so the biggest thing that you like to see from him is he's taking a few more walks. His batting average on ball, balls in play seems to be pretty solid. We are still in a place in which, no, he's not a league average hitter. And in fact, he's still, you know, uh, DR, DRC plus says he's 9% worse than the league average hitter. But that's more than passable for a dude who plays the kind of defense that he does. Don't you think, Brad? Yeah, absolutely. When you're getting the run saved that he's creating through his defense, I think you'll take within 10% of that DRC plus, uh, or even 20%, uh, just as long as he's not playing where in the first half last year, he was around 30 in the DRC plus area, uh, which is absolutely miserable. Uh, I really love to see the increased box. I think that's where he can get a lot more value. Just getting on base in the bottom lead order is so substantially beneficial to help. I mean, talking old school baseball, turn the lineup over, but just create more of those opportunities. When you have more pe people on base, it creates more opportunities. And 9.6% right now for his walk percentage is a career high for him in the majors. It's three higher than he ever had, which his peak was 2016 in those 55 games. Uh, you're also seeing him put the ball in the air a little bit more with his fly ball percentage. It's about 5% higher than it was last year. And then add on a, tick increase in his hard hit percentage and that's leading to some better results for him i think than what he was having her obviously better results than what he was having last year but I, obviously that's helping things with uh, making more solid contact and then just not flailing away at the pitches when he gets up there uh, last year he seemed really anxious to just try to get a hit and try to make something out of nothing and this year when you watch him at the plate it really does look like he's waiting for the opportunities to come to him and you can see that reflected in the walk percentage um, well and, and it's just nice that he's doubled his value according to drc compared to what he was last year yeah well and you can see too compared to what he was in 2017 this is a very similar hitter to what he was in 2017 well, at 277 I'm, 324 407 i'm gonna this year it's 262 I'm, I'm oh, going yeah. to jump in on that because there there are a couple of things to bring up about his 2017 season because I knew you were going to go there, so I was going to tee you up for it. So I don't know how much, Ryan, I guess you've been paying attention to what Rob Arthur has been putting out on Baseball Prospectus in terms of the, the juiced ball, but the 
data that he's been bringing forth as as of late has been showing that the juice ball definitely happened in 2017, right? The the season that you were starting to point out for for Arcia. But the data actually shows that most likely the ball was not juiced in 2018 and is now being juiced again. And it almost looked like 2017 was almost a trial period. And then they went back to it in 2019. If we do take his numbers and we do take his analysis to be to be truthful, right? And we take it to be accurate that the juice ball was in 2017 and now in 2019 again. Does that help us make sense of the kind of power surge that we've been seeing from Arcia to make him a little bit more of a palatable big league hitter? I mean, I think that definitely could play into it. But as you pointed out all throughout last year, there was a lot of swing issues with Arcia. He was lost at the plate for long stretches in in 2018 so i don't think it's purely the the a matter of the ball i think he was legitimately well it can't it, bad last year i was gonna say it's not never gonna be just one thing because that's that no life is too easy or not that easy right so. yeah it would be nice if things were that simple for analysis purposes but no i mean there have been some ups and downs with the balls going all the way back to after the all-star break in 2015 people started noticing some changes to the ball so and yeah, 18 seems to be kind of the outlier of the recent run, right? Where it's it seemed to have gotten a little less uh a little less hitter friendly in in 2018, but yeah, I I think that that's part of it, but Arcia is still a guy who is is maturing and developing as a hitter as well. So I think we we have to keep that in mind too well if he is if he is maturing and this is just kind of right we talk about development not being linear right but he is still a young guy who is still i think finding his feet as a big leaguer he's still kind of working through a lot of things that you expect a young hitter to, to work through and we do have another patreon uh patreon question from devin bearwolf he says if rca finishes the season with a stat line around where he's at right now so 264 uh 335 431 with 15 homers kind of projecting out the power do you think that David Stearns would try to sign him to an extension, wait another season or two before trying, or would he just plan to let him leave and get a, a draft pick for him, hypothetically? Brad, do you think that there could be a contract extension in the cards here? I think that's definitely a situation where you look at the initial 2016 appearance where he struggles, first pit, you know, time facing big league pitching, easy time to struggle. Um, but then with the period in 2018 and then having two good years in 27, 2019, I don't think that's enough of a track record necessarily to put him to an extension, especially with the emphasis that David Stearns has put into stocking the system with middle infielders. I think he's trying to actually build up a depth so he's not stuck to that and he has his options. So I don't think he'd restrict himself to what happens in 2019, locking up for 2020 and beyond. You still have a few years of control on Arcia, so why not let it play out a little bit more and then get an extension that could buy up a couple R beers and a year or two of free agency down the road, which will it be more expensive for the team? Absolutely. But it's a safer bet. And I mean, I trust him to use the tools in front of him to properly analyze it and make the right decision. But I definitely don't think that 2019, if it is around the 2017 performance or continues on the track record that it's going, is enough to say like, hey, for sure, we got to lock this guy up because it's just he's not enough of a difference maker where you need to go out and do that. There's definite value in his defensive run saved. But you look at he has a DRS of six in 2017 and then with his offensive performance ends up with a one point four war. And 
if he repeats that and he ends up around the same place, probably a two war player, there's absolute value there, but it's not something where that's, especially in an age where shortstops seem to be getting better and better and better, where that's something that the team needs to have, needs to hold on to. I just don't see it being a compelling re- or signing for the team to make coming out of this year, aside from saving a few dollars. I think you just wait and see if it happens again in 2020. Yeah, so Ryan, do you think that Orlando RC is a good extension candidate, or are you like most concerned about saving the team some money in the long the long run here? Are you pro labor or are you pro capital? <laughs> <laughs> I I would be fine with an extension for RC. He is he has going into arbitration one in 2020. So he will have three years of arbitration. So 2020, 2021, 2022, those are his age 25, 26, 27 seasons. And then he would be a free agent hitting the market for his age 28 season, I would see no issue with locking up the remainder of his 20s, say, and giving him, like, I don't know, a five-year extension with maybe a team option on the end of it. it would, that would make perfect sense to me, uh, as long as they're comfortable with where he's at. I think that a lot of this comes down to where they think his development is as a hitter and what they see as his long-term outlook. And so I would be comfortable with it, but they would obviously need to get a price on him that they would feel comfortable with. And that's, that could be tricky. It just, you know, it sort of depends on what he wants to do and what his, what his agent is looking for and all that. It, it really does sort of come down to where they want to set him because we've seen some of this back and forth. It, it varies widely from, from player to player. We saw it with Gene Segura where the Brewers offered him a, a contract extension and he wanted more money than what they were offering so he turned that down and then you look at uh at we, guys we, like say in the atlanta system i was say we just, these are all we just saw this with uh, jonathan vr as well oh sure we saw it with vr and if you look at there are some guys in the atlanta system who were not um they're latin american signings and, and they were guys who weren't considered top of the market signing so they didn't get massive signing bonuses and that would rc would fit into that category ozzy albies and uh and Ronald Acuna Jr. both signed very team-friendly extensions, especially Albies was a massively team-friendly extension. And that was because they were they were looking basically to get that security that they hadn't gotten yet. And I could see that happening with Arcia or or not. It just sort of depends what him and his agent want to do, what their priorities are. But so when so. Albies and Acuna are in very different situations where they're still two years out from arbitration and still are you know years away from making that million dollars especially to a young player two years seems like a very long time and then suddenly you put out two million three million dollars a year for the first couple years and oh my god i feel so much better rc is a year away from a half season away from actually getting into the millions and making money based on the value that he's providing the team through the arbitration system so yeah, is he likely to take a team-friendly contract? Yes, but he's not going to take quite the... I don't think he'd be inclined to take quite the discount that Acuna and Albies are taking just because he's already there. I mean, if he continues the track record he's on, he should be making substantially more than he's used to making and improve on that. So I'm not really sure what the team's going to get in terms of discount comparatively. And if he... I really don't think that number is going to change if you let him go another year and then sign him to a five-year extension in RB or, before RB or two. So I think the one thing to remember, though, is that 
it's it's a we can talk about the the potential discount for the team. The team has a little leverage here. I mean, you can talk about what you want and saying that Orlando RC doesn't have to sign, and that's fine. But the team already is going to be able to have him at a discount for three years. So right. What Brad's saying though is he does have more leverage than what those guys had just because, just because he's put in more time. Just because you have more leverage in a crappy situation doesn't mean that you actually have leverage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I mean he's the team still has all the power. They're still the ones who go get to go out there and fight their number, get the are the ones who get to say, Oh, hey, the middle ground looks a lot better than us going to arbitration court and fighting this out and yeah. us talking about how crappy of a player we think you are and why you deserve the lesser amount. Yeah. But at the same time, the light at the end of the tunnel is substantially closer for Arcia than it was the other players, especially when you're coming off guys who signed, you know, $100,000 signing bonuses coming out of international free agency, had that to work off of for five or three year to five years, depending on the situation you're looking at. Arcia um, has kind of bided his time and has that opportunity now to, you know, it's just three more years. But, I mean, the guaranteed money is always more attractive because you never know what's going to happen. We'll We've see. seen players who crash and burn, and the discount just, even though it's a discount, seems that much more attractive. Yeah, certainly. Uh, but I think the the one thing to remember when we're talking about guys in the Atlanta system, you're talking about Acuna and you're talking about Albius, they're much better players than Orlando Arce is. Substantially, um, yes. So yeah. there there is a situation here in which the team might not I could absolutely see the Brewers want to do basically a contract extension that buys out all of the arbitration years and then has a couple of option years that basically right. says we're going to take some cost certainty we're going to take this if you end up developing better we're going to take a couple of option years to be able to take advantage of that and then you get to make sure that you're not you know non-tendered it's important to remember Arcia was just sent down to the minors a year ago like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of situation here for me i don't actually see all that much benefit in going to an extension i'd need to see a couple of years of this before i would feel like we would need to go for an extension because i don't i could absolutely see something to say if you can get you know a contract that 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 views rc as a role player because you know that is his defense is good enough that that he's going to be able to come up but like we've seen guys like uh jose iglesias be able to go to cincinnati jose iglesias one of the best defenders if not the best defensive shortstop in major league baseball uh basically went i believe on a minor league contract or at least you know making near the minimum and he was able to go he's actually hitting a little bit better than expected uh i don't know if the juice ball has to do with any of any of that but like Arcia to me feels a lot like the situation that we had with Alcides Escobar in which was a good player, was able to go through a couple of stretches in which he was valuable at the plate. He could steal some bases, was obviously a wizard defensively. I think Arcia, depending on your your opinion, might be a little bit better defensively than than Arcia or than uh, than Escobar. Um, uh, but we do have the situation here where I'm like, what's what's the best case scenario of like him being a two-win player? Right. So you can lock up a two-win player who that's probably his peak. I think 2019, if this progresses out, is basically peak Arcia. Um, and that, but you also have safety nets in the system where you have a Dubon if, saying he's probably one of the few trade chip assets that you have going into July. Uh, but you have a Dubon where if you keep Arcia and you 
regresses back to how he played in 2018, you have that safety net who can come up, be an average shortstop defense or defensive shortstop, but probably provide a bigger offensive benefit just in his speed and his skill set than Arcia has. It, you have those safety nets in the system, and you don't really need to worry about that financial security, especially like when you have said, we live in a shortstop world where it feels like there's 16 of the best shortstops we've seen in the last two decades out on major league rosters right now. So league average shortstops or shortstops who can produce at a league average production are out there for the taking because of just how the current environment is. So you can get go out there and get someone who provides similar value to Arcia at next to nothing and not have to worry about that six-year commitment with the buyouts and two options or however it ends up getting or would end up getting framed in that option world. Yeah. And and so Ryan, I think one of the things that that jumps out to me is when you're talking about those safety nets in the system, and I think that's absolutely right that Brad is talking about that. To me, that's actually a reason why you don't need to do a contract extension. That you just let it ride. You're already yeah. getting a discount for three years anyway. You're already getting a discount and you do have them locked up for those years. So yeah, I mean it's it's an uh a reasonable argument to say that they just don't need to do it. So this is probably a situation where they would need to get a substantial discount. They would need to really get a very team-friendly deal for it to make sense for them to do it, which would mean he would have to give up a lot. And you know, maybe that makes sense for him to to get that security. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, but yeah, it, it you guys have convinced me. It probably is a situation where they are... are We'd need to get a really, really good deal for it to make sense. Yeah, so Ryan's pro capital. All right, so the next <laughs> thing that we've got is... No, Ryan, I'm just joking. Um, so we've got uh, another question here from Dan Larson because it brings up Travis Shaw, who has actually been producing a little bit more in AAA as of late. And Travis Shaw is probably coming back, right? Like, he's he's going to be coming back to the big leagues. And Keston Hura has been uh, quite good at the plate. I And... Maybe quite good at the plate is a little bit of an understatement. Uh, I, he's been he's been excellent. Uh, I saw a tweet. Was it who was it that was comparing him to uh, Ryan Braun's? It was me. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was you, but I didn't want to like put words in your mouth. So, <laughs> so what you said that basically his introduction to the big leagues has been on par, if not a little bit better than when Ryan Braun came up when he was a rookie, right? Right, so it's through Keston here's first 16 games, 305, 359, 576, five homers, 22 to 3K to walk. Ryan Braun's first 16 games, 317, 353, 587, four homers, 173 to K to walk. Very similar um, when you look at it side by side. Now, but the one thing to keep in mind with that, and all of that I think is absolutely right. I think the run environment here in terms of power is a little bit different, but... The point is, Kesson Hira obviously making himself uh, very, very comfortable in, in the batter's box, I think, as a big leaker, which I, all of us knew he was a very good hitter. So that's not that's not overly surprising. But Dan Larson says, with Shaw coming back, who's going to get sent down? How do you think the Brewers accommodate Hira if they want to keep him up? Ryan, what do you what do you do? I mean, at this point, I think and this has gotten harder over the last couple of days as Hira has continued to hit. I think that their general MO is to try to keep their options open as long as possible. And considering they cannot send down Thames or uh, Aguilar, I I feel like the way you keep your options open the most is to send Hira down and basically have a conversation with him and say, this is nothing to do with what you're doing. This is about us 
trying to figure out where all the pieces fit on the roster and we'll see you soon. But right now we have to just see how this is all going to play out. But like even in that scenario, when you say we'll see you soon, it's not like that there it's not like there's a ready-made solution for we'll see you soon. It's like, well, I don't know, maybe somebody will be bad or get hurt. And if <laughs> not, you're going to be down there for a while. Well, and that's well, hold on. Somebody being bad or getting hurt is fairly likely. Yeah, but if so, you're having a conversation with Kesson here about that, I'm if I'm Kesson here, I'm just like, oh great. So I'm just here until some unknown time, just biding my time because like beat for reasons. Well, no, it's not reasons. It is we have to keep our options open. As I know long as that. Possible. I know that for the organization. I'm saying if you're saying you're having a, a conversation with Kesson here about that, if I'm Kesson here, that's not a conversation I'm like a super excited to have nor do i think it's a great reason that i'm getting sent down because there's a roster crunch and you're going to keep somebody on the team that i'm performing better than right it's it's not but that's part of the the deal with being a rookie in mlb on a good team like there isn't always room for you this is what happens good teams do have roster crunches this is something that Teams have had to go through. The Cubs went through this a bunch over, you know, when they were bringing a bunch of guys up. The Astros went through stuff like this. Sometimes guys get pushed out temporarily to accommodate trying to figure out how all the pieces fit on the roster. So, for the so, so when Dan says, you know, how do you think that they accommodate here? Your answer is that you don't think they do. They, they probably send him down. That would be my solution in this situation because okay. it, it, for temporary this is a temporary thing. This is not a permanent solution. This is not something that I expect to go on for a long time. But for right now, it kicks the can down the road a little bit and allows them to continue to evaluate where they stand with everybody else because somebody in the group of Shaw, Aguilar, and Thames probably doesn't make it to the end of the season on this team at this point. And I wouldn't I wouldn't want to make that I don't want to make that decision right now. I don't want to have to make that decision where the team stands right now because it's still too up in the air. I think there's too many different directions this can go. And I would really, like, they cannot let Travis Shaw just go. That would be a very bad idea because he does have the ability to play third base at a average to above average level and hit. We've seen him hit really well for two years in a row. To just pass on him because you have a, a temporary roster crunch at this point would be insanity. So, so Brad, I think they kick it down the road. So Brad, how are you trying to fit this square peg into a round hole? I think what Ryan says with logically how the team has dealt with things is exactly on par, but we also have an owner who's very concerned in my opinion about fan perception. And if you move Keston here down, there's going to be a fan revolt for, of the team because right now it logistically doesn't make sense. You're going to move your best hitter of the one of your best hitters of the last two weeks, not named Christian Yelich out and have these sub 200 hitters come in, take his place. You have um, very little offensive production in any of the spots. I just think you're in a debate where it's David Stern's logic of, I agree. Let's keep the flexibility open. Try to maximize this. Is it, do we give Shaw two weeks to try to hit his way back into being a relevant roster space and then make a decision at first base? Or do we, I think with what we've seen about first baseman, I think you could DFA Thames and I don't think he's going to get claimed because if you look at the first base environment, I mean, even as far away as the Chris Carter situation was teams aren't exactly itching to get first base 
hitters, especially ones that hit 200, but with good power, uh, they, that's not a needed commodity in the current baseball environment that we're in. So I think you could DFA Thames, which I think would have to be the option if you're doing what the fans want, which is move Shaw or Moustakas to first to open up that playing time for here at second base. And because otherwise you just have way too many lefty at bats and you got to have a righty on there somehow or else you run into a similar problem that they had and tried to solve at the trade deadline last year. Well, so let me let me throw this out, though, because uh, Sean and Sean Andrews, excuse me, Sean, uh, put this on on Twitter just before we were we were coming up here. And and because like the biggest thing that I've said and I've said on multiple podcasts that it's basically Thames doesn't have a spot. Right, because your redundancy at first base is left-handed Travis Shaw, and so if you're thinking about trying to maximize your roster spots, that's where it makes more sense. But Sean says against left-handers this year, Aguilar has a so against lefties where Aguilar should have the the platoon advantage, five thirteen OPS. Uh, Thames actually has a nine seventy six OPS against lefties, and yeah, small sample sizes, but still. Uh, against righties, Aguilar has a, a 6.52 OPS. Thames has a 7.72 OPS, and he says, "Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Small sample sizes. Are we sure that this should be a platoon, or is is DFAing Thames about maximizing the roster and ignoring the actual issue at first base as Ben Jesus Aguilar and not really Thames?" Yeah, that is the problem here. That's it's a very good point, and because Aguilar's performance has by far been worse than Thames this year to punt Thames and, and DFA him, which I was looking at, I mean, is an option, but he does also have a team option for next year. I think somebody would actually pick him up. I do think somebody would grab him and say, you know, maybe an American league team that has some, some flexibility to be able to move him to, you know, first base DH and play him between those. I think somebody would pick him up. And I think that that would be, potentially a mistake down the road as you look at he has been a, a valuable member of the lineup this year in terms of being able to get on base and at times hit for some power he hasn't hit for as much power throughout may obviously he just had his first home run in may towards the end of the month but there is still value there and so if you were going to truly make this all about this year and say, we have to get rid of the guy who's the least valuable to us this year. That's clearly Aguilar, but at the same time, Aguilar is the one that you have under control for three more years after this one, and they don't have a ready-made long-term solution at first base I, but sitting I thought, on the roster. I thought you were saying that Travis Shaw is your ready-made first baseman. No, Travis Shaw is my ready-made third baseman. I, I still think Travis Shaw is the third baseman for this team okay. for the next few years. Okay. And I think actually when I make the defensive arrangements, if we are fitting Shaw, I put Shaw at third base still because I think he's a slightly better defender than Moustakas and put Moustakas over at first. So Yeah, I, yeah. so that could be a, a, a solution as well. But the problem is just if you were going strictly by what has happened this year, it would be Aguilar would be the odd man out, and I don't think they can afford to do that. I don't think that's a good long-term strategy for what this team is doing. Well, no, so, I, so I agree. It just doesn't make logistical sense when you when you look at the control. When you and Aguilar has a better historical production than Shaw or than Thames has, um, I think you have to go history and control over current production given limited opportunities for both 
So, um, I mean, Aguilar has definitely failed substantially more, but what I, I think it just makes more sense that the FA thinks. What I will say is I understand all of the things about control. I'm not ready to say that that Jesus Aguilar can't be a, a quality big league hitter. I'm not ready to say any of those sorts of things. But if we are thinking about long-term holes and how to fix them, the one I'm very confident that they could fix in an offseason and not do it for all that much money is first base. Yeah, true. I mean, I was just saying that first base isn't something people are scrabbling to get, and that's why I think Thames would be her a safe DFA because teams aren't climbing over each other to fight and outbid each other for that position particularly. Right, and so if you end up DFAing uh, Jesus Aguilar, let's say he goes somewhere else, he's able to find everyday playing time is you know is able to get everything back on on track, which I would hope he would he would be able to do. And let's say that you go with Eric Thames through the rest of the year because you're saying that that's where our production is. They're able to do that. They're able to maximize the roster. They're able to keep Eric Thames where if you want to move somebody to first base like Moustakas or Shaw from time to time because you need to move you know, Eric Thames to a corner outfield spot, you can do that. It maintains some, some roster flexibility there. And you say that actually what our, our plan is is we're going we're gonna to take our best production at first base in 2019 because we're trying to, to maximize our roster now and we need to make room for somebody like Heston Hira who is absolutely tearing the cover off the ball and we're going to deal with it next we're going to deal with the ramifications in the winter because we know that we can solve it I mean what's Ryan is that like reasonable I know that I, I know, don't know I don't know I I still think that Jesus Aguilar and maybe I'm a bigger believer in Jesus Aguilar no, no, no. than I just said that I think he would be able to have success elsewhere. I'm saying that at this time, sometimes you, as you said, sometimes you have to send people down that do well. Sometimes you have to part ways with people who you still think can be good players. Yes. And that may be where they get you. This is why this is such a tough decision. This is one of the tougher roster decisions they've made in a very long time because this does have both short-term and long-term implications at a time when they are trying to contend. So you have to try to balance where they're at right now against where they figure to be over the coming years. And you don't want to pass on and just let a guy go who could substantially help you either this year or down the road, but they may be forced into that, into that decision. I, I still just think that it makes the most sense to kick it down the road for a few weeks and see if something happens, see if something somebody gets hurt or, you know, somebody clearly plays their way off the roster. Yeah, but at the now, same time, there are two other sides to this issue, too. Thames or Shaw has two options. So even though he has been hitting better at AAA, a lot of that stems from a 3-3 game where he hit a home run. Otherwise, he has a lot of offers down there. So you could, once he comes off the injured list option him down and say hey you need more time to figure this out and then that gives you more time to play your better players your better offensive players using her shaw's two one or two is two options and getting a little bit more time to hopefully fix up him for the long term and not risking it in the major league roster and also yesterday mike moustakis was hit in the hand by a 101 mile per hour pitch apparently it's just a contusion but that might resolve itself like it always does. Something always seems to happen that ends up making these decisions for the team. Yeah, and I and I hear that, and I think that that's important to recognize. But the other thing to, to keep in mind when you're saying to keep Travis Shaw down to play your best players, what you're still saying is to not play Jesus Aguilar. Yes, <laughs> which... Right, like that's, I'm, that... I'm just not sure which... I, I think, in my mind, I see Thames, Shaw, and Aguilar all in a very similar boat. The unfortunate yeah. thing for Shaw in the scenario is he has two options and 
Thames and Aguilar can't go anywhere if the team wants to keep control of them. Absolutely. So even though the option means do not play Jesus Aguilar and let him resolve his issues on the team, unfortunately for Shaw in this situation, he's the one with the ability to move off the roster. So yeah, the what I'm saying is still don't play Jesus Aguilar. And but Shaw just has the short straw in the situation. A rookie's heavily outplaying his ability based on what he's shown in 2019. And it's just the how it goes right now. You know, you're the one who ended up getting injured, who went down to try to fix his swing, and you're the one with the option to stay down. Yeah. Well, and so a couple of quick things here, and then I want to move on to one more question, and we'll, we'll peace out here to get you to a baseball game. <laughs> um, so... For me, I think this really does boil down to the fact that we've been seeing all of these issues in the trade market. We've seen it in free agency. When it comes down to it, what is more valuable? Is it control years or is it production? And basically, where we've come down on this, it's been control years. It's not actually production. It's nope. it's being very much more concerned about uh, uh, control years. And the other thing, because I know that Ryan's trying to butt in here, but I, w- I want to move on to, to, to another question here. So I apologize. I saw you get ready to talk. Uh, and uh, But the other thing to keep in mind here is that this is a position in which Aguilar, again, is really well-liked in, in the clubhouse, right? And we saw this last year where a lot of t- a lot of players were actually really upset when Orlando Arcia was sent down. But this is also a scenario in which Travis Shaw is also very well liked in, in the clubhouse. Eric Thames is very well liked. They've built a clubhouse based on personality. They've built a clubhouse based on on collegiality and being able to maximize those sorts of things. I don't necessarily see it as a scenario in which Travis Shaw also takes it very well going down to AAA and and having that be the case. Um, my own feeling, my and despite saying all of this, um, my own feeling is that they're going to uh, send Keston Hero down and and just kind of kick the can down the road, or it's going to be an injury that, that, that solves it. I don't think that that's the way it should be. I think that if I were in, in the position of, of uh, David Stearns, I, I, to be honest, I'd probably look at making a tough decision at first base, and I, and I would move forward. What that would way. that decision be? I would probably look at uh, DFAing uh, Aguilar, even though I think that he could still be a very good player elsewhere. Because I would feel that myself in the exact same way that if I was in a trade scenario in which I was accepting uh, players back in a trade, I would not want a first baseman because I would be like, I can go get that on the free agent market for cheap. I would be confident that I would be able to f- to, to fix my issues at first base, even even midway through the season when guys get DFA'd again. I would feel most confident that I could find something first base uh, and and be passable at first base on the free agent market. Do you think he sends down Keston Hira and maybe tries to work out a quick trade to clear up that a la like a Keon Broxton trade? Like you're not going yeah. to get a difference maker in the for Aguilar right now, but you can send him to a team that is looking to rebuild like the San Francisco Giants. Bad example because they do have first base covered. Yeah, yeah. But a team that's bad, hopefully get a player that isn't exactly lighting the system on the fire, but the Brewers grade well, like a Zavalos or Zavalos or an Adam Hill and get some depth to the minor league system and solve it with at least getting something back. I think most likely what you would see if they actually went with something to try to trade Jesus Aguilar to be able to solve a problem. I think that they would look at taking uh, probably a reliever back that has a big contract that somebody wants to get rid of. Oh, yeah. Um, and they would have a, a few more options in terms of the arm coming back. But to, to stay on, on the hitting train here, 
because uh, we're we're getting close to time, is Mark uh, Putzgarby on Patreon says, "How long do we keep Kane in the laid off uh, in the leadoff spot? Because he's got a low on base percentage, sitting two fifty nine, three twelve, three ninety. What's what's going on with Kane? Are we worried about him in the in the leadoff spot? Are we trying to send him down, uh, kind of in the order? What's going on?" Ryan, what do you well, think? Well, they about did that? already move him at least one game. I have been in and out a little bit over the weekend. They moved him down to the third spot at least one of the nights this week. Yeah, because uh, they ended up playing Ben Gamble at, at the leadoff spot. Right. So they led off with Ben Gamble. I think that it's a it's a blip, uh, mostly. I, I don't expect Kane to be as I expect his numbers to improve as we go on from here. He has shown an ability to take a bunch of walks and be a, a very disciplined hitter over the past few years. He sort of even coming into Milwaukee had started to up that and then kind of hit his peak of that last year with the Brewers where he was walking, well, what, 13, 14% of the time. So uh, I think that it's, it is a blip and I think there's a lot of other things. It just works to have him up at the top of the lineup for a number of reasons as well, because he is a, a good hitter and, I think allows a the team to to get a look at a, a number of pitches from the the starter or whoever you know is in that position. I think that 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 matters a little bit too. So I, I think he's he's a fit there, and I wouldn't necessarily worry about moving him down. Though I know there was a conversation back and forth between a couple of people who've guested on this podcast in the past where they were talking about Kane being moved down to the third spot in the lineup, which old school baseball analysis would say is the least important spot in the lineup in the top of the lineup. The third spot is kind of where you can, you can fudge a little bit because it is the position where guys come up most often with two outs and no runners on, which is the lowest leverage hitting situation you could be in. So, I mean, maybe there's a case for him to move down there and to be in, in that position as well. But, I don't know. I, I I don't worry that much about lineup order to begin with. So, Brad, what do you it, what it, do you think? Go back to a conversation that we had earlier, and how much does you know a track record really affect your evaluation of a player? Really, just two months into the season, and only a third of the season has gone by. I think being you know I defended Chastain for having four years. Kane has a substantially longer track record than that of success. I think he has earned the right to play his way out of this even more so than probably anyone else on the roster, given that he really hasn't had this type of struggles aside from his like second year with the Royals, I think was the one time where he had kind of a similar line heading into this. Um, he actually has a somewhat low Babbitt for his historical record. And yeah, I'm okay letting him play, even if it does you know, lead to bad results, but I really haven't noticed him getting, I feel like he's always there still to get, get driven in. We're just not seeing him at the Lorenzo Cain rate that we want to see. We're not seeing him hit 300. It's not that he's necessarily been awful in the leadoff spot. He just hasn't been as good as he has been historically. So just because he's not all-star Lorenzo Cain doesn't necessarily mean that he's not still offensively viable given his skill set. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. And so the last but not least, because I know you two absolutely love the draft that's going to be happening on Monday here. Brad, what are you looking for in the draft? 
uh, collegiate hitter, I think, based on my reviews and what I've gone with so far. Uh, there are a couple um, uh, infielders who I think will be good options for the team based on kind of what I've seen them go for in the past is they want both a good measure of high ceiling, but very affordable. And they're going in with a very low draft stock compared to what they've been with. Uh, I think out of my research and what I've done, Cameron Meisner is one of my favorites. He's an outfielder uh, ranked middle of the pet herd, like in the 30th area by a lot of the pre draft rankings and uh, looks to be a five-tool player if everything works out right. Um, I like his history of hitting. And uh, some of the teams knock him because he doesn't have a history of hitting in the SEC. But Corey Ray hit a lot in the SEC or in, against high-level competition. So why not try switching it up and see if that works out a little bit better for you? Yeah, Meisner is currently ranked uh, 26th on uh, Baseball America's Top 500. So... He's right in that range where you could potentially expect to see him. Uh, I've sort of been hoping that they could get a, a guy to fall to them. Uh, Brett Batty is is the guy I'm hoping. I, I'm not super uh, optimistic about that anymore because it looks more and more people are connecting him to the Rangers to take him for a, a well-under-slot deal at number eight so they can save money and rearrange it later down in the draft. Um, the other one, I think we talked about this a little bit, Brad, on Twitter was Keanu uh, Cavico, and you kind of talked me down from him a little bit, saying that it was uh, you know, maybe not a great fit. Right. It's always hard when you have those, like we talked about, like high swing and miss is always a thing that uh, kind of scares me based on some of the track record. And Nick from Milwaukee Baseball Perspectives kind of <laughs> sided with this too where you know they haven't really done a good job in the Stearns era of deal fixing swing problems. So that's always a bit of a concern, especially against a guy who's playing against, uh, albeit some standard competition compared to his peers, and really didn't show up on maps until this season. At 18, that doesn't always necessarily worry me, but when you look at guys with long track records, that's always a little bit more validating in the process when you're looking at hitters as, val or as volatile as high school hitters. The power is a lot of fun, um, but versus like Batty, who has a great track record of hitting, a uh, little older compared to his high school peers, but still has a lot of projectability in his game, that's a lot more exciting. Uh, he was a guy I was dreaming over, but really didn't think he was going to drop, and now it doesn't sound that way. And uh, Cavico is like the antithesis, I feel like, of him, where he's just shot up the ladder because of his production lately, especially in showcases and has so much more volatility in his ability, especially his hit tool. Um, if they're going to draft anyone with volatility, I'd prefer it'd be a guy who's shown good results, but bad mechanics on the mound. Cause lately I feel like they've been really good at helping pitchers coming out of college or high school become more consistent in their mechanics uh, so you're looking at like players who fell be like a Brandon Woodruff, a Corbin Burns, uh, Corbin Burns came out and, you know, his thing was inconsistent arm slot and very violent delivery. And now you watch him and his delivery is very consistent and looks very clean and easy. They're good at fixing that with the current team that they have available. So if they want to go volatility and high risk, I'd rather it be on that side than hitting just based on their recent history developing hitters. Perfect. And it's worth so. pointing out, too, that they have never, under uh, current scouting director uh, David Montgomery, they've never taken a pitcher in the first round. 
They have been hitter every single time. And I think that that does, I, I think there's, there's something real about that, that I granted they're picking lower than they've ever picked with him at this point. So maybe that changes the calculus a little bit when you're further down in the round, but they have been very hitter heavy up top, which is, you know, it's kind of the new school analytic thing where, you know, you go hitter early and get pitchers a little bit later because they're just so volatile. My, my own my own take is that I think that they are going to uh, 100% just go best player available, whether it's a pitcher or whether it's a hitter. Um, I think they're, they're going to take whatever falls because I, I don't think that they're going to go over slot with the first pick. Uh, they might, but from what I've heard, I don't think that they're planning to go over slot. I think they're going to play it pretty straight. So if you do want more information about the MLB draft, though, overall, and you want to get some stuff, I talked to Jeffrey Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus in the, in the recent mini pod. I'd recommend listening to that. But otherwise, that's going to do it for the show this week. Uh, So you can join our Patreon if you want to hear more kind of draft breakdown after the draft takes place Monday through Wednesday this week. If you want to join our Patreon, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate patrons at the MMB on ball and glove levels receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE tailgate. You can follow uh, Brad at uh, brew brew crew blue. (laughs) <laughs> That's a tough one to say. Um, and you can submit questions to us, milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through Facebook page, uh, which is Milwaukee Baseball, uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can leave reviews to help people find the podcast. Thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.